Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. And today, Pastor Jason continues in the book of Acts in his sermon entitled The Grace-Filled Church. This is part two. If you turn to Acts chapter four, Jason is in verses 32 to 37. Let's join Pastor Jason now in his sermon. Well, welcome to Rancho Baptist Church. I am Pastor Jason, the senior pastor here. And normally by this time we would have done announcements and we would have told you different things that were that are going on and, and, and this and that. And I somebody would have at some point held up a information card like this. And and we'd like to encourage any of you that are new to RBC at the end of the service when, when the little offering pouches are, are, are passed around. If you could go ahead and, and fill this out and place that in that, we would be very appreciative. If you have any questions or you want us to to get in contact with you, please give us some sort of contact information as well. I will let you know that today is a little bit different of a day as last week was different. Normally I spend the entire time in God's Word. We are going through the book of Acts and we will get back to the book of Acts, but we thought it it is important to spend a little bit of time speaking about community groups. And even before I do that, I'd like to speak a little bit to some of the changes that are going on because I, I've, I've heard different people still are, are quite not understanding, okay, what is indeed going on and, and have you guys actually done away with, with our welcoming time and, and our little time of fellowship and greeting one another? And, and when I was in seminary, one of my very best, well, I, I loved all of my professors, but one of the professors that challenged me the most He'd say this, he'd say, emphasis, not exclusion. And that's very helpful when it comes to even understanding the word, because at times you can you can look at the Gospels and you can see that that one writer, he might mention two angels in one account. And then when you look at another writer, he'll mention only one angel. And does that mean that the Bible contradicts itself? No, it means emphasis, not exclusion. Just because he doesn't mention the other angel does not mean that the other angel was not there. And just because we are no longer doing a greeting in the beginning of our church service doesn't mean that we do not intend for everyone to say hello to one another and for us to have some sort of fellowship time, some sort of time of getting to know each other. Please do not leave here without saying hello to someone. Not now. (laughs) But as we finish and wrap things up. Our intention is not to do away with that. Our intention is, is to go ahead and, and, and do the worship in such a way that it'll, it'll be seamless and we'll be able to continue the worship from the worship of the Lord with one another to the time of the Word, seamless, and, and then go in our way and spend time with one another, even greeting each other and, and, and saying hello. So emphasis, not exclusion. Last week, I, I, I gave you all what... What I don't know if you grasp or not was, was the biblical basis for what community groups. This new thing that, that we're talking about that we are planning on launching. The biblical basis or the theology and really what I was addressing is the why are we putting emphasis on community groups question. And the answer was, as I, as I took us to 
Genesis and I, and I fused in Acts chapter 4 as well, the answer is, is that, that we're created for relationships. We're rewired for relationships. We should be involved in relationships. And that as God is a relational God, meaning that He has existed in relationship as three persons with one essence for all of eternity and He will continue to exist like that, that you and I were made in His image and as such, we were created for relationship. Relationship with Him as well as relationship with one another. And and we believe that this community group effort that, that we're trying to start here, to launch here, will be helpful in that aspect. And it's got all sorts of nuances to it, to where is it like fellowships? Yes, it's like fellowship groups, but it's also a little bit different. And I will get into that. And I will get into the particulars of what these groups look like and and what we will be doing and who will be leading these groups and when they will meet and all such things. But before I I get into the nuts and the bolts of the group, I, I thought I would go ahead and and let you know kind of the mission behind community groups. What, what are we intending to do with these? And if you have your, your bulletin, you can look in there either now or later, and it, and it tells you what, what, what the mission statement is for these community groups. Our, our desire is that these community groups would really promote a culture among us here of one anothering of loving each other and living life together. And that's going to present itself in all sorts of wonderful ways where we will be doing worship with one another. We will be praying with one another. We will be sharing meals with one another. We will be serving with one another and all sorts of wonderful things that I'll get into later in subsequent weeks. But as printed in in your bulletins, the, the mission of community groups is, is this. It's to promote a God-honoring culture among RBC, Rancho Baptist Church, where all believers are encouraged first to follow Christ, second to live in a Christ-centered community, and third to be true God-honoring lights in this world. And, and these are taken from, from passages of Scripture as God's Word is the foundation. These are things that we should be involved in, that we should be following Christ. And, and, and that's seen in Colossians 3.12-17, to 17, which says this, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And, and how do you live out these things? Kindness, compassion, gentleness, and patience without being involved in, in, in each other's lives in some sort of aspect. And then he goes on in, in, in verse 14. and The Apostle Paul says this, Beyond all these things, put on love. And that's what we want to do. We want to practice love in these groups. As Christ is love, right? Which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Really, it's about following Christ together. 
And that's why the second point is to, to live in a Christ-centered community, not some sort of convent or, or this or that, but have an opportunity to, to invest in one another and be invested in. And this cannot be, be done only in the context of church on Sunday mornings. Right? It, 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 it goes further than that. We need to be gathering together outside of church. Why? Because we need one another. It's the way that God has orchestrated things. It's the way that God has even built up His body. As we see in Ephesians 4, 11-16, which says this, And He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. For what purpose for this? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. That's what we want to see happen. We want to see the body of Christ here among us built until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness, by in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. The reality is, is the Lord has gifted everyone in this body to fit perfectly in with, with the rest of the body. And, and we can have just an impact in each other's lives as we spend time with one another. And so that is the mission of the community groups as well as this, that these groups would direct us all to be God-honoring lights in the world. That these groups, they'll, they'll encourage, they'll challenge, they'll motivate, and they'll equip us to reach our world for Christ. And ultimately, Christ is our example. And that is who we follow. And as we're following Him together, we're spurring each other on. And in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 16, it, it, it reveals this to us about our wonderful Savior. So then, my beloved, speaking of believers, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure, and do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that the day of, in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. We're to be lights in, in this dark world. And these community groups will, will give us an avenue where we can encourage each other to be lights. As we spend time with one another, and I, and I hear about my brother who has actually reached out to his neighbors next door. And that will challenge me, encourage me. Man, maybe I can actually go talk to my neighbors or, or what have you in, in different ways. I mean, when... You pull back and look at it. What we're talking about is much what, we, what we're looking at in the book of Acts. Living life together. 
And, and since RBC is such a huge body, we can't all four, five, six hundred of us live together. That's too big of a, of a great big circle. And so what we need to do is break down into smaller little circles. And if you want to think of them as small little churches or small little bodies, okay, that, that's what these are. Opportunities for us to serve one another and be served and grow in godliness. So that we would what? So that we'd be a grace-filled church, as we've seen in the book of Acts. So turn with me to the book of Acts and, and let's finish out what we started last week. A look at this grace-filled church. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. And I will start where we began last week. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, for we know that there are so many things that we would not truly grasp and understand the significance of if they had not been clearly expressed in Your Word. We know that Your Word is powerful, that it's living and active. And we ask that Your Word would speak to us now, that You would make it clear, that You would allow our minds to be engaged, that You would keep our hearts from being calloused and turning to stone, and that you would allow your word to have its work in our hearts and in our lives this morning. As only your Holy Spirit can do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So last week I, I talked about how this particular passage of Scripture really is, is pointing back to chapter 2, verse 42, and, and, and how they were meeting. And, it, and it's as if... Luke is, is removing the top, the ceiling, the roof of the church and giving us a vantage point inside the church to give us a full picture of exactly what is going on. And I said that he, that he has basically given us four pictures into this church and the way that they functioned. Things that they considered important. And last week what we saw first was the mindset of the early church. And we saw that they were what? They were of one heart and one soul. That basically, if you want to condense it all down, what were they all about? They were all about keeping the main thing the main thing. They didn't get distracted by the color of the carpet or by this or by that, but they were of one mind and of one soul. They kept the most important thing to them the most important thing. And they weren't sidelined. And what was that most important thing? It was the 
number two thing that we looked at last week, the number two picture into this church of what they were all about. They were about this, the message, which is the gospel. Of all the things that they could have been preaching, what were they preaching? They were preaching on the resurrection. And and I mentioned that this wasn't a new thing. This is what they had been preaching the entire time since the beginning of Acts, even before Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit came upon them. There is an emphasis on the resurrection of Christ and it's something that we will continue to see throughout the book of Acts. Why? Because Jesus is at work in the book of Acts. He is establishing His church. And His testimony of the resurrection must be proclaimed, even to our day. It is a crucial part of the Gospel. It is indeed the Gospel. And as this message is proclaimed, as this testimony is given, we we see that God's grace then comes and is sent to them. And it is upon them. And it is that grace of God that then brings about this, which we're going to see today, the last two aspects, last two pictures. Their manner, the way that they were functioning, the way that they were gathering, the way that they were looking after each other. What, what does that look like? We, we saw in, in 2, 42 and 3 and, and, and all of that back there in, in Pentecost in chapter 2 that they were devoting themselves to, to the Word, to fellowship, to communion, to prayer. But here we see the manner by which they were loving each other. Look at verses 34 and 35. As the manner is, sacrificial giving. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Isn't it interesting how they start off Luke does, and he says, okay, so how were they meeting? Well, they, there was not a needy person among them. Just consider that for a moment. What, what the Greek entails is, is this idea that being in need of material possessions, being poor, being impoverished, lacking what is needed for existence. Literally, it means to be in a tie or in a bond that is difficult for you to get out of. So that there was no one in their particular body that, that was in that kind of need. And if you're like me, you start to think, what, what, what does that look like? Pastor Jason, what do I do when I go to a gas station and someone approaches me? And, and they say, hey, look, we're all out of gas. I lost my job and, and this and that. And can you give me $10 to fill up? And this just happened to me last week. No doubt it's happened to each one of you. What do we do with that? Who are we responsible to? For? Is RBC, is Rancho Baptist Church, are we responsible for every needy person in the valley? Is that what this is talking about? Turn with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6 and, and let me remind you of that principle that, that, that I stated at the beginning. Emphasis, not exclusion. So even what I'm saying is, yes, we need to reach the world. Yes, we need to be kind and gracious. And if the Holy Spirit directs you to give some money to someone like that, by all means, do that. But but where does the body of Christ fit into this? Are there priorities talked about in Scripture? Yes. Galatians 6, 9-10. 
Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Do we not all want to reap eternal benefits? Do we not want our lives to matter? Oh, yes, we do. And, and so how we live matters. How we give matters. Who we give to matters. Look at verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. So there's the broad brush perspective. And especially, now he fine-tunes it, and especially to those who are, who are of the household of the faith. Believers are the priority. Remember that when this verse speaks of there not being anyone in need, that there's no one poor, it's not speaking of the entire city of Jerusalem. That's not the context. The context is this particular church. It was only within the confines of the early church that there was nobody in need. So our priority as believers must go first to believers within the church and then outside. And I believe this would include missions and all sorts of aspects. And please, I'm not saying, oh, only support RBC and yes. No, not by any means. What I'm saying here is that we need to look after believers and that's what God's Word is saying. I'm not saying it. That is the priority. And what's really interesting is that if we went back to the Old Testament and we looked at Deuteronomy 15... There's a very challenging verse in there that, that says that as they're going into the promised land and, and they're now God's cho- chosen children and they're supposed to live as God's chosen children, it, it says there that, that there's to be no pers- poor person among them. No poor person among the, the children of Israel. Why? Because of God's provision. And perhaps maybe that's who they were looking at. That they were looking back and they were remembering, oh yes, remember, when God brought us to the promised land. And, and, and how was our nation looking after each other? Well, they were looking after each other sacrificially, making sure that there was nobody within the context of the nation of Israel, within their particular body that was indeed in need. And so they follow suit here in Acts. And, and how do they do this? Well, it says among them for all who were owners. What they did was they, they sold their land and their houses and then they take the, the proceeds from that sale, whatever kind of money they got from it, and they, and they would lay that at the apostles' feet. This idea of selling and then bringing it to the apostles. And in the tense in the Greek, it's not, it's not an idea of doing it one particular day because... You're emotionally spurred up and you're pulled in because of the hype. And then two days later, you're, oh, I, what in the world have I done? I sold my house. I sold my land. There's no place for my children to live. Oh, I want to take it back. No, it's, it's not like that. It's, it's something that, that happened continually, habitually, day in and day out. And that's what they were doing. That's how they were giving of themselves. And yet, even in this we're going to find as, as we continue our way through the book of Acts, when we get to chapter 11, and this church that, that is blessing so many of its own people and, and no one is in need, that this same church is in major need. <laughs> it's in such major need that actually the Apostle Paul and Barnabas come back to this church and they bring a gift 
in order to meet the needs of this particular body. So between chapter 4 and 5 here of Acts and in chapter 11, some hard times come upon this body. And historically, it, it, it was they were hit by a famine. And so that's why they're, they're running into hard times. So it's, so it's not like the, the church stayed like this forever. But the point is that at this point in time, they're what? They're being generous. They didn't regard their things as more important than people. Actually, it was the complete opposite. They regarded people more important than their things, than their stuff, than their possessions. And so what did they do? They sold their land. They sold their houses. They'd get the money from the sale and then they would bring them and they'd lay them at the apostles' feet. That word laying them actually has a a location behind it. An understood location that everybody knew. This is where you put that. And it wasn't just the location that was important, but it was who they were doing it before. They were laying them at the apostles' feet. We'll see this apostles' feet Three times in, in, in just these short verses. In 35, then we'll see it in 37, and next week we'll see it in chapter 5, verse 2. And if we were to spend some time in the Old Testament, you'd, you'd see a similar idea of, of taking money, taking possessions, and laying them at, at someone's feet. Usually it's a king's feet. And, and it's talking about a willingness to submit to the authority that the Lord has placed someone under. And in this context, it's the authority of the local church and the apostles. That in reality, when they were doing this as they, when they were doing this to the apostles, they were doing it as unto the Lord. That they were recognizing that God had established these guys as the authority. And you don't see any verbiage, any words talking about, oh, well, then they talked about, so I want you to give 10% to this guy, 20% to this guy, and then hold some of this and invest this over here so I can accrue some interest. No, you don't see any of that. What did they do? They just lay it at the apostles' feet, and that's it. And isn't that what we do in church, too? That you trust the leadership of the church. And I know at times that's abused. And so we do have to be wise stewards, and there should be accountability within local churches. That's why we print in our bulletins the giving and where it's going and such things. And then look and see, what do they do? They distribute it. That's this, the, the same nuance of, of the verb is the idea that this is something that, that happened over a long period of time, but it's also in the singular, which brings about the idea that this wasn't some factory, this wasn't some commercial operation, where it was like, come, and they get in a big long line, and everybody comes through in about five minutes, and then everybody goes on their way. No, it's individual care. It's personal. It's thoughtful. It's caring for for each person as an individual. And we know that. Why? Because the way that they distributed was according to each person's need. It's understood that the amount of aid given was proportional to the need of that particular person. So a family of ten was going to be given more than a single person. Why? Because the need was is greater with a larger family. But notice also that you don't see anything about being commanded. There's no imperatives. There's no commands in here. Why were they doing this? This isn't communism. They were doing this voluntarily, willingly. And as I mentioned last week, because they grasped how significant God's grace was 
and all that they had been saved from. And they recognized the eternal perspective of things and allowed them, it allowed them all not to hold on to their worldly possessions so tight. What kind of words would you use to describe a body like this? As we see in the book of Acts, I, I would use words like generous and unified. This no doubt is an outward expression of the unity of, of the one heart and soul mentioned in verse 32 and how it's lived out, that they truly did consider each other and cared for each other. And oftentimes, this, this man, isn't the way that we live, is it? Not the way that I live. John Calvin, he... he in his commentary about this, this is what he says. He says, We must have hearts that are harder than iron if we are not moved by the reading of this narrative. In those days, the believers gave abundantly of what was their own. We in our day are content not just to jealously retain what we possess, but callously to rob others. We need to think through this idea of giving. But not only do we see here that the mindset of their mindset Not only do we see their message, not only do we see the manner in which they they gave of themselves to one another, but we see this too. Luke gives us the model. And we see this in verse 36 and 37. And a man that many of us know about, but some things are are given here that maybe we don't know, we, we hadn't realized before, such as his name isn't Barnabas, but really his name is Joseph. Look at verse 36. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement. So no doubt most of us know about Barnabas. He, he actually is a key figure in, in the book of Acts. He's a traveling companion of, of the apostle Paul. And goes on the first, his first missionary journey with the apostle Paul. But we don't know of him as, as Joseph. Usually, we only think of him as Barnabas. So first we see that he actually has another name and no doubt there were many Josephs in the church in this time, so they changed his name. But we also see two other things that that maybe we didn't know before. One is that he's a Levite. Well, well, that means that, that he should have been a priest. But we don't see him functioning as a priest. And the second thing we see that, that he's of Cyprian birth with means that, that he grew up on, on an island called Cyprus. And that island, instead of being a Jewish island, it was full of Gentiles. So he was primed and ready and really born and raised to be a missionary, to be sent out, which is exactly who he becomes in God's providence and goodness. But, but I think the most telling thing about him is that he is indeed called Barnabas by the apostles. And he's mentioned 23 times in the book of Acts. And he's John Mark's cousin. And we'll we'll see him further introduced in Acts chapter 9 where the Jerusalem congregation, they're they're suspicious of Paul, Saul. And no doubt you and I would be suspicious of him as well for he had a reputation of killing Christians. And do you know who stands up for the Apostle Paul and represents him and reassures the body that he is indeed a true believer? It's, It's Barnabas. And that's why it says that his name means what? Son of encouragement. In the Greek, it literally is son of paraclesis, which, which from Romans 12, it, 
It's a spiritual gift. And it's one who helps others in their time of need. And at one time it can be comforting someone. Another time it can be consoling them. Another time it can be exhorting someone. And yet when when he's doing any and all of these things, it's always with the idea of encouragement. And that is what we are going to see in the life of Barnabas. Just as he's an encouragement and a challenge to them here in this text, we're going to see it again and again. He excels in this gift of loving others by being encouraging to them. We'll see this in particular in Acts chapter 11 with the believers in Antioch as he's sent there and and encourages them. But that's not all that it says about Barnabas. It's not just who he is and where he's from and that they changed his name. But again, it gives us a very good example, a model of how this was being played out. A name. And actually what we see here is a good model. What we're going to see next week are two bad models. This is a good example. Next week we're going to see two horrendous examples that we are not to follow. This is the model that we should follow. Look at verse 37. Again, talking about Barnabas, who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. We have to understand that in Greco-Roman time, and in this time, and in their world, it was very uncommon for someone to own land. Some commentators say it's, it was only 5% of the population. And so it was a primary source of determining where someone's social class was. And no doubt what this is communicating to us is that Barnabas was one of the socially elite. He was, so to speak, one of the rich and famous. And yet, how does he hold on to his, to his riches and to his glamour, to his prestige and to his name? Man, he holds on to it very loosely. Notice too what it says that he owns a, a track of land. It's singular. It doesn't say how big the track of land is. It doesn't even say where the track of land is. Some believe that, that the track of land wasn't even in Jerusalem. And it adds even more to what he did that it actually was land in Crete on the island where he's from. And that in order for him to actually sell that land, it was even much more complicated than anyone else who had land nearby. Again, speaking of all that he had given. The example here isn't supposed to let us know by how great of a land he gave, how large of a land he gave, but it's the idea of the generosity and the concern for others that's being held up as an ideal and a challenge to us all. And this becomes even more apparent as we see it contrasted next week with Ananias and Sapphira. So he, he takes this, this money that he gets from the cell of this land and he, and he lays it at the apostles' feet. This again doesn't seem that great, but if you know the culture of the time, normally you would, you would hire somebody to do all this for you, to do the selling. And then when it came time to actually go through with the process of, of handing over the sale and getting the money and the proceeds from it, it would, it would be this great big social event and it would include lots of public honor. None of that is talked about in here. 
This is almost, it, it seems to be done as, as something private and in secret. That shows again the humility that Barnabas was functioning in. He, he didn't want great big accolades. And again, when we hold this up to Ananias and Sapphira that we're going to see next week, it's huge. What was he concerned with? He was only concerned with honoring the Lord and serving others and being generous. Now, if you're like me, you might be thinking, okay, so what do I do with this? What, what, what is the point? Am I supposed to give up all my land and then put that in the offering? What am I supposed to do? Well, well, turn with me to Luke and let's look at two examples that we see in God's Word of, of very rich men and two different ways that, that they respond. Really to the Gospel, really to grace. And the, the first man we probably all know about, we've heard about the rich young ruler. Let's look at his account. And see if maybe we can figure out, okay, how much am I supposed to give? Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 23. A ruler questioned him, that him being Jesus, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. Oh, really? When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Notice back in verse 20, that as Jesus gives him the, the commandments, the Ten Commandments, he, for, he doesn't mention a whole bunch of them. He doesn't mention any of the first four that has to do with man's relationship with God, that there shall be no other God. Right? All of those, Jesus doesn't mention. But do you notice too the nuance? He also doesn't mention the 10th commandment. And do you know what the 10th commandment is? Thou shalt not covet. Why does he wait? Because Jesus knows that that is the thing that this rich young ruler is holding on to. That is the one commandment that he doesn't recognize is his blind spot. But he recognizes it when this is done. The problem is he doesn't turn. He doesn't give that up. In fact, he holds on to it so tightly that he's willing to hold on to it and choose his material possessions over eternity with God. He doesn't understand life from the eternal perspective. And if we used him as the barometer, how much would we all have to give? All of it. <laughs> You'd have to give all that you have. Because that is what Jesus is asking. So is that what Jesus is asking you? No. No. Again, what, what is the point? The point is, is that we're supposed to be generous in what we give. Look at, turn to the next chapter. The next man that we're going to look at, Zacchaeus. Here again is another rich man, but he responds totally different. Chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. He entered Jericho, talking about Jesus, and was passing through. 
And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to that to the place, he looked up and said to him, Man, this is grace. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the best of to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This isn't teaching that Zacchaeus is saved because he was a son of Abraham. This isn't teaching that Zacchaeus is saved because he gives up 50% half of all of his possessions. He's saved because he trusts in Christ as his Savior. And as a result of God's grace manifesting itself and God changing him, saving him, he's then willing to what? To give all this up. He's a man who is now grasping the significance of the eternal. And so what happens? The grip that he has on his possessions, he lets it go. And he's willing to give it to the Lord. So what we see in in, in Zacchaeus and in Barnabas in Acts chapter 4 are examples of someone that model for us what a believer empowered by by the grace of God and living as he should looks like. A believer is truly submitting to the Holy Spirit empowered by him. Next week we'll see two totally different examples that choose to not allow God's grace to work in their hearts and lives as well as the Holy Spirit. What this text should do for us then is to spur us on to seek to imitate the care of the needy that is represented here in the sacrificial generosity of what the Holy Spirit had created. Perhaps the reason if we're not as generous as they are is because we haven't grasped the grace of God and all that He's given to us. Okay, points to ponder. Consider the examples of the rich young ruler, Zacchaeus and Barnabas. Which of these men most accurately represents you and your attitude towards giving? What does a generous generous giver look like? And how could God use you in the lives of those who are needy at RBC? Please don't think that all that I want you to consider is money. Many of you might be gifted in all sorts of other ways that will be much more of a blessing than, than, than financially giving to someone. Perhaps somebody is having problems with their plumbing and and, and you're gifted in that or woodwork or or this or that. Or someone needs some hospitality. They need somebody to reach out to them. And having you and your family go and visit them would just make their year. And maybe that's what this looks like. Number two, consider the early church and the shared life that they exhibited. Who are you sharing life with? And and no doubt all of us are sharing life with with our family in some way. Even those that, that have family that don't live in California, you're calling them, talking with them. But outside of that, what does this look like? We should be involved in others' lives. Let's pray. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You for, for Your Word. Thank You for giving us Your Word and giving us the example, not only of Barnabas, but of, of the whole early church and the way that they lived. Empowered by Your grace, by Your Spirit, controlled by Your Spirit, allow us to be empowered by Your grace, led by Your Spirit, all about your gospel and investing in each other's lives for your glory in Jesus precious name Amen Hey thanks for being with us today It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry Here at Rancho Baptist Church our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God love others and live to reach their world for Christ and If you have any questions regarding this sermon or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.